Hey, everybody, and welcome back to The One Thing Podcast. I'm Chris Dixon. I'm willing to bet that you've had the kind of day where you woke up and just started going fast. You were busy all day, back to back, no breaks, worked over lunch, got all the way through your day just to look back and realize you didn't accomplish anything that was on your top priority list. Have you had that kind of day? The kind of day where you felt like you were busy but not necessarily productive towards the things that matter most to you? At The One Thing, we believe that having a purpose and a big why allows you to prioritize the things that matter most, that you have clarity on what are the most important things that ultimately allows you to lead a life of productivity towards achieving them. So I hope you enjoy this discussion today with Chris Bailey about productivity and how you can reclaim your intention. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The One Thing Podcast. I am joined with Chris Bailey today. And Chris, thanks so much for being here. He is an author, a best-selling author and lecturer who explores the science behind living a deeper and more intentional life. He has written hundreds of articles and has a presence in coverage in media as diverse as the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, GQ, HuffPost, New York Magazine, Harvard Business Review, and TED, just to name a few. I'd love to hear more about that. Uh, He has his new book, How to Calm Your Mind, Finding Presence and Productivity in Anxious Times, and his podcast, Time and Attention. Chris, thanks so much for being on today. Good day to you, sir. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. We were just talking before the podcast that uh, you have the most calming podcast voice, which is so, I think, appropriate for what you're about. (laughs) Well, hopefully. (laughs) Yeah, I was... uh... I was sharing this story. I was at my cousin's wedding. Uh, Greg. Hey, Greg. I, he's probably not listening, but I'll send him the link so he can. Uh, and he was telling me that um, he bought my audiobooks, all three of them, to fall asleep to. And so I'm not sure if that's a... I took it as a compliment. I, I, I mean, like I get the royalties regardless, but it's uh, it's nice. It's nice to hear you have a calming voice, especially if you write about uh, calm being one of the things in your repertoire. So... Yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. I was saying that you're projecting what you're trying to create, which is so nice. Hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> well, okay. I gotta ask you. I was I was listening to your podcast uh, just to get to know you a little bit more before ours, and I realized that you did something I've been wanting to do for a long time, and I want to talk to you about it <laughs> if you're okay with it. You went to a flip phone for a month. Is that right? Yes. Yes. That that is correct. <laughs> Much to the consternation of pretty much everybody in my life, uh, everybody I am friends with and work alongside, we all have iMessage conversations that uh, essentially in one fell swoop got totally obliterated. And now I have to T9 everybody from this flip phone. It's a, it's a very enjoyable, it's a very interesting experience. And a lot of people in my life are upset with this particular experiment. I would assume that would be the case. And, and the biggest deterrent for me in having this experiment or doing this experiment myself in recent history was the T9 and just the, yeah. the nightmare that that used to be uh, from, from growing up with that. So how did you overcome the, the challenge? Well, I didn't really. <laughs> well, I think one of, the, one of the key things to realize with technology is, is we basically hire the devices in our life to do, do jobs for us. And the the jobs that we hire our phone to do are manyfold. Our phone is our boarding pass. It's our music player. It's our podcast player. It's our map. It's our GPS. It's it, it's our alarm clock. It's our sleep track. It's everything underneath 
the sun, basically. It's usurped all these jobs that we have hired various technologies to do for us and some jobs that uh, didn't exist before, like uh, attending to social media throughout the day. And so a lot of these jobs can actually be done by a different device. I, I, mess, I mentioned the pains of switching people over on iMessage. Now I can do that from my iPad, from my computer. Luckily, the uh, other devices in the Apple ecosystem work for that. But the, the impetus of this particular experiment, it, it came, you know, I write a lot about the science of distraction, of productivity, of how these uh, things make us anxious and less calm, which also makes us less productive. Um, I, I've come to think of calm as an underrated ingredient for productivity. Um, and looking at the smartphone in my life, uh, I realized that most of what I do on it does not matter. Uh, I'm connected most of the day anyway. I rarely feel happy when I'm using the device. I lose a lot of time on the device. I enjoy life more when I'm not on it. And I'm a pretty lousy texter to begin with. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know how much of a change this experiment is for a lot of the people in my life when they have to wait so long for a T9 message anyway. And so I'm finding it fascinating. U ultimately, you know, I think it's it's pretty much impossible to to get rid of a smartphone. It feels like the the social equivalent of almost moving to a commune uh, in 2023 <laughs> to give up your smartphone. Um, but I'm having a blast, and I I have more ideas. I uh, can reconnect with the gaps between the activities that comprise my day. Um, yeah, and that that was kind of a one key takeaway so far. I'm very much in the middle of it right now, but that these. The, these moments of distraction tend to sort of fill the gaps of our day like water. And they drown out these opportunities that we have for reflection, for planning, for ideating, and for resting and recharging. And so I'm experiencing a lot of the benefits of that. Maybe that's the calm you're hearing today. I don't know. Oh, that's interesting. So the 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 biggest challenge sounds like how disruptive it is to the people who are 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 getting messages from you. It's probably coming from an old email address now that not not yeah. your <laughs> not oh, yeah, your phone like number, some high school e email address, basically uh, the one I used when I first signed up for an Apple ID. Whenever those were were invented, <laughs> so it's oh, everybody's funny. getting messages from this, but it, it's. You know, one, one of the interesting things to reflect on in this experiment is modern communication kind of sucks in a lot of different ways. It's more shallow, it's more diffuse. We have uh, fewer or, or far more shallow connections and fewer deep ones that, than we used to. And that's just the state of communication. If you separate from that, it's that or you know, far less communication. That's kind of the state of communication right now with the world. People text, people are on social media, people send Snapchats to each other. I've heard, I don't really do that, but it's it's been interesting to kind of remove myself from that flow of communication. I miss it, uh, but I don't miss how shallow it is in a lot of ways. It's a really, I don't encourage anybody to do this experiment because it will wreak havoc on, on pretty much every aspect of your life and anybody who wants to communicate with you. Uh, but it's it's fascinating to learn these lessons the uh, interestingly hard way, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, man, it's, I was going to ask you then, you know, on the other side of that, what the, the maybe the biggest benefit was, but you said something that, you don't encourage it, but it almost feels like a like a cleanse of sorts that 
you know, you or a, like a, a technology fast, a smartphone fast that maybe maybe not a month, but if it's yeah. a week or something like that, that would be helpful just so you can reset and be more intentional about where you kind of fill in those gaps that you were talking about. And it's like the old Stephen Covey analogy about the jar with the rocks that fill the jar. And then you've got yeah. the, the smaller pebbles and then you've got the, the ultimate kind of like sand or water. And it feels like that when you talk about the phone filling some of those being more like the water or the, the sand in the jar that fills the cracks. And it's kind of, it feels like a wasted opportunity to be more intentional about using that time. That time. Yeah. And I think this is kind of the, the flip side of productivity in a way where we always want to be making progress on something uh, in our life because of how busy we are. There's uh, always that opportunity cost of our time. And so when we have a bit of time, we want to fill it with something that leads us to feel as though we're moving things forward. But it's remarkable how not moving things forward allows us to defragment our mind. It allows us to organize our thoughts and file them away for later. Um, it, it's really, really interesting. If you look at where our mind goes to when it wanders, it actually wanders to the future about 48% of the time. And so this is the time when we're taking a shower and then uh, we plan out the entire day. We're thinking about all the meetings we have coming up on a particular day. We're thinking uh, we have ideas that come to us as well. We're able to rest and recharge and wander. And so, it, and this is something I wrote about in my second book called Hyperfocus, where we have the focused mode of our mind, which is critical, right? It's, a, it's what allows us to be productive and to make progress. But we also need to wander. And it's this wandering that leads to the recharging, the ideas, and the plans for the future simply because we think about the future when we, when we let our mind wander. We actually think about our goals 14 times as often when our mind is wandering versus when we're focused on something. And so it's kind of the left foot and the right foot where the left foot is focusing on something, but then we need to find balance again and shift our weight in the other direction to think about what we wish to be productive on in the first place. And so, yeah, it, it really is kind of a fast. And uh, I'm I'm a big proponent of what, what I like to think of as stimulation fasting, which is separate from this experiment where we go without essentially the the dopamine-driven sources of, of stimulation in our life that can lead our mind to become uh, more anxious and less productive. Um, and, and that can lead to more focus too. And yeah, so any form of fasting, it probably shouldn't look like a flip phone, but there there are, <laughs> uh, you know, there is kind of a gradient of activities before you get to that extreme end of a flip phone where you can become a bit more intentional in ways that you wouldn't expect make you more productive, but really because of the space that these activities create in our life do. Mm. At four, so 14, you're a 14 times more likely, or excuse me, you think about your goals 14 times more often when you have this wandering mindset, when you're, when you're not yeah. thinking about some other place you want to be or, or some, some point in the future. That's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's such a common phenomenon in research circles that study mind wandering that it's called our mind's prospective bias, where we think about the future and we think about our goals significantly more. And so, you know, in my opinion, intentionality is what productivity is all about. We don't 
become more productive by just doing more, 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 faster, faster, faster. Um, we, we become more productive by doing the right things deliberately and with intention. And so it's really that intentionality that lives at the heart of what it means to be productive. And so if you never let your mind wander, if you never give it a bit of space to wander, it's never going to think about what you wish to do in the first place. And th- this is that that autopilot mode that so many of us fall into as we work, as we live our lives. We kind of you know, work on whatever happens to come our way, whether in our email inbox or somebody stops by our office or somebody calls us up over the phone. And of course, you know, obviously, we all have a different level of autonomy over our work. Um, so a lot of our work is defined by other people. But when we're working within the bounds of defining things for ourselves, we need all of the intentionality that we can possibly get. And it really is that that wandering that helps us get there. Mm. You know, something I've, I've found myself saying more often lately, it's kind of an analogy to the phone and, and social media, or even more generally to that, I guess, lack of intentionality is, is that movie Click mm. with Adam Sandler when he's got the remote. Oh, I love that movie. Yeah, that he fast forwards through yeah. moments of his life. And I, I feel like the... Uh, unintentional time specifically like phone distraction is like picking up that click remote and uh, you're just kind of fast forwarding through moments of your life eating healthy is an investment it's an investment in yourself but it also often requires an investment of your time but good news is factor has delicious ready-to-eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen they're chef created dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes with Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also, discover 60 more add ons every week, like breakfast on the go, lunch snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Again, that's factormeals.com slash ONE50 and use code ONE50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Yeah. Oh, that's such a good analogy. Like picking up the phone is kind of like this. It's like a black hole where once you... Once you enter into it and, and hand over your attention to this device, you you go through time and warp speed, not really being uh, metacognizant of what's on your mind, kind of on this autopilot mode. And we, we feel like time is moving faster. And we feel like uh, we have less control over what we work on, when we work on it. We feel more stressed. We feel as if we're not measuring up because, of course, apps like social media activate this comparison part of our mind. And we can't really pinpoint why simply because we're on autopilot mode as we go uh, through time uh, on this on this machine. So I think reclaiming intention is such a critical uh, component of productivity right now when uh, the world leads us onto autopilot mode. It's such an advantage that we can uh, level up to claim. I love that reclaiming intention. That's 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 powerful. We we're all about reflection time, 
and in our process and what yeah. we really teach and, and preach is, is finding a space to become intentional and to get clear on what you want to prioritize so that you can be more productive yeah. towards the things that you want to achieve. And we, we, in our system, we recommend that someone at least finds 30 minutes per week just to sit down, clear your head at minimum, probably more than that, mm -hmm. but at least to start and just get Get some time for free from distractions to just orient yourself on where you are, where you're coming from, where you want to go, just to have that clarity. Is there anything that you recommend along those lines for how someone can find specific times or practices to get that kind of intention or get focused? Oh, I love, I love that. I love that ritual. Uh, and I, I do it every Friday afternoon where... Uh, every Friday, because I never do anything on Friday afternoon anyway, so I might as well plan <laughs> the next week. Same. Um, and so, you know, I'll I'll like look back through the previous week's time log because I like to to time track. I use a device called the Timeular. Have you heard Have you heard of this thing? I've heard of it, but I'd love to hear your experience. Oh yeah, so it is. Uh, how many sides does it? I think it has eight sides, and so it looks like a big. I don't know if uh, like Dungeons and Dragons uh, cube, um, and and so essentially it has a lot of different. I I don't have any affiliation with these people, I should say, um, but essentially you can label the different sides, and so whatever side is facing up, the app that you pair this uh, physical device on your computer with. Um, it automatically tracks time for that activity. So you can see a summation of how you spent your week and you can add hashtags to different things so you can get more granular. If you are if you have kind of a writing side or uh, a meeting side, you can get more granular in that way. So I'll review the previous week's time log in this. I'll, I'll review my incubation list because there's so many ideas that we're all incubating. And so I like to make a rit ritual out of bringing those to the forefront of my mind. But one of the key things, you know, speaking of intentionality that I love to do at the start of every week is defining my three intentions for the week ahead. And so this is what something I call the rule of three. And it's just a, a simple ritual where you fast forward to the end of the week in your head and you ask yourself, by the time that this week is done, what three main things will I want to have accomplished? And if you love the rule every week, you might want to do the, the rule every day too, as I do. And it works across a lot of different timeframes. Some people love doing it every month. Some people love doing it every quarter, every semester, every year, um, every kind of sales cycle, whenever the, the natural seasons are in your own work. Um, and I, I personally find day week and year work well for me because it's kind of that 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 process of filtering where your yearly goals can filter down into your weekly goals which can filter down into your daily goals which uh, then then you work towards every day by time blocking and other productivity strategies and the the reason I love this rule so much is you only get 3 and so in the process you have to decide all of the things that you don't want to prioritize by only prioritizing three things. And so you have to decide like, really, truly, what's important? What do you want to be different in your work, in your life, because you lived a day or a week of it? And I find this constraint really, really accommodates the way that I think. And not to mention that the number three works with the way that we think anyway. Uh, we evolved 
to think of things in threes. Um, and, and I know this is a part of the the one thing system as well. Um, what, what are what are the three uh, kind of levels? It's uh, priorities, productivity. What what are the three levels again? You got it. The three P's. So uh, it's purpose, priority, and productivity. Purpose. Yeah, yeah, I love it. And so we think in threes, and then we remember things in threes, and we internalize things in threes. And so when you look around, you see that the world is kind of chunked together into threes. We have sayings like, good things come in threes, and the third time is the charm, and a story, which is a sequence of thousands of things that happen one after the next after the next, we divide into three parts, the beginning, the middle, and the end. Uh, when you're buying a house, it's all about location, location, location. Uh, we grow up immersed in stories. The the three little bears, the three blind mice, the three little pigs, the three musketeers, the list goes on. But we we think in threes, and so we actually remember them, we internalize them, and we're more likely to achieve them. And so, you know, it's a simple kind of planning ritual uh, that I love doing every Friday afternoon. But that's kind of the main component of it is what are my three intentions for my work and for my personal life for this year? And how can those filter down into what I want to accomplish uh, this week, as well as you know, Monday, Tuesday, first few days of the week, uh, if I can have visibility into how I'll spend my time then. Oh, that's great. There's so much, there's so much good stuff to unpack there and so much, um, I guess, symmetry with what we do when you talk about breaking oh, cool. your goals down from, from, you know, an annual goal to, uh, we, we stop at monthly as a milestone, not stop, but break at monthly as a milestone and then weekly activities. Yeah. And the, Limiting to three, I love because it forces you to just inherently prioritize the things that matter most. It's what yeah. I've found in in my own experience and with with others that that try to use this this process to break those goals down is when they get into the week over time, it just naturally evolves into a glorified to-do list of all the things. And it starts yeah. to to lose its priority, which ultimately then impacts how productive you can be towards your goals because you end up focusing on probably things that are easier or that you just check off the list and you're not always focused on the yeah. things that matter most. Yeah, exactly. So if, if everything is a priority, absolutely nothing is a priority. And that's that that's I think, you know, one of the the things about a to-do list that's worth keeping in mind where a, a to-do list is a fantastic way of organizing the things that you have on your plate because it lets you get the stuff out of your head so you when you're just randomly going about your business you don't remember that randomly that you need to call somebody back or that you need to write some email or or journal about something or reflect on something or make a decision it it's just on a list and so you don't really have to think about it but at the same time, it, a list can get noisy when you know pick up a cantaloupe on your way back from from work is right next to hire somebody new onto your team that's going to be working alongside you for the next decade or two, uh, and so that that I think is where the rule of three really shines is what are you going to elevate above the to do list of your day, and this is how I I think about it I. I well, I have a weird way of managing what I have to get done that I haven't really... I should write about this for my site at some point because people might be interested in it. But I manage my day in, in plain text. And so I have a plain text document on my computer where I manage my day. And at the very top, above 
the to-do list, above all the things I have to get done, above all the calendar meetings I have on a given day, I keep my three intentions. And I look at those every single time I glance at the to-do list and select things off of it, depending on how much time, attention, and energy I have, which I consider to be the three main ingredients in, in productivity. Uh, and it's it's a remarkable system. Just the process of reviewing these makes you far more likely to achieve them because you constantly pull them to the front of your mind. And it, I should say, you know, with the rule of three, it's you you won't do very uh, you won't do a very good job of it at the beginning, or at least if you're anything like me, you won't. Uh, so I remember when I first started doing the rule of three, I would write uh, set an intention to say like write. Uh, 500 words, and I'd write a thousand words. And so the next day, I thought, wow, yesterday went incredible. I'm going to uh, set an intention to write 2,000 words today. Uh, and again, I'd write a thousand words. And so, <laughs> but eventually, you settle into a, a rhythm of understanding your capacity for daily accomplishment, uh, given the constraints that you face. And I think that is such. Uh, an underrated and remarkable skill when it comes to doing, uh, especially knowledge work, is understanding what capacity we have to get things done based on the constraints of our day. So whether those are external constraints or whether those are internal constraints, so we have a bit less uh, maybe time if it, it's external, uh, or maybe we have less attention or energy if we're looking at internal situations. And so that is a superpower when you understand that capacity, because then you can sculpt your day to be the exact size that you're capable of handling. And then, of course, you know, the rule of three works incredibly well when everything goes to hell. <laughs> and <Yeah>. so <laughs> the three the three emergencies you started the day with um, two new emergencies come up, uh, but then you get to think, okay, I started the day with three. How do these two new ones compare to those original three? What's most important in the moment? And it's that moment-to-moment -moment confidence that what you're spending your time, your attention, your energy on is exactly where you need to be. Uh, that is... It leads you to focus. It leads you to flow. It makes you feel calm. It makes you intentional in the moment. And ultimately, it feeds up this whole system. It leads you to more purpose, more productivity. Um, it leads you to uh, feel good about how you spend your time, which is what it's all about. It's so good. And it, it's, it's a daily, I'm sure for many people, experience to start if you do start the day with some intention. I mean, how often do plans go according to plan? I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty Not rare. Often. So yeah, <laughs> you map out this beautiful path from point A to point B, the beginning of the start of your day to how it will end and just all kinds of things come up. And I love what you said, because I, I believe yeah. it's true that you, you need some kind of, uh, some kind of reset, some kind of way to pick your head back up after a fire, fire sale and orient yourself on what are the things that you do need to say yes to and the things you need to say no to yeah. when you come back from putting whatever fire that you had to put out, out. Yeah. Yeah. When the alarm bells are going off all around you, it's, it's so easy to panic. And th this is something that we're, we're seeing uh, today, especially it's, it's, you know, if you look at measures of anxiety, anxiety is through the roof and it might seem unrelated to productivity, but it's that 
calmness in the storm that is so critical with knowledge work. Um, you know, one good example of this is if, if you are giving a speech in front of, let's say, a thousand people, and that speech was in three minutes from now. And, and I asked you, like, right before you went on stage to give this speech, to multiply 87 by 168 in your head. Um, you might be able to do it um, if you're good at mental math, you know, carrying the numbers over, visualizing it. But <laughs> I it would, would tell you if that's not in my presentation that I don't even know what language <laughs> you're speaking right now. <laughs> yeah. So you, maybe you fall into the category of people who can't do mental math <laughs> like yeah, maybe. me. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, it would probably, if you could do it, it would probably take you... All right. Let, let's make this easier. Like 61 by 87. Maybe, maybe you can do that. Um, it, it would probably take you two times, three times as long to do this before the big speech uh, than it would just on a random... Tuesday that you're, I don't know, let's say you're relaxing and you're calm and you're uh, lying on the beach somewhere. Uh, and this, the same is true if you're trying to solve a, a big problem and you're in an airplane and you hit a pocket of heavy turbulence. Good luck. Good luck solving the problem when, when your mind is in that you know five alarm bell mode. And so having that calmness can actually save us time when we invest in this ingredient. And, you know, that's ultimately what productivity is all about, right? Like that's the benchmark is for every minute you spend investing in your productivity, what do you make back? Do you make back 30 seconds for every minute you spend on productivity? Because that's not a very good investment. Do you make back two or three minutes for every minute you spend on productivity? Now we're talking. And, and calm definitely falls into that category, as does the prioritization, as does intentionality, as does um, mind wandering actually as well. Mm, yeah. I, I have to resist the urge to, to overcapitalize on the opportunity to use an airplane analogy because I'm a pilot and I do this too often, oh. <laughs> but, it, but you mentioned the turbulence, but the, the one takeaway yeah. I, I would say is as a, as a pilot or what pilots do when things do start to get funky and the stress levels go up, you, you go back to your checklist. And you look at your checklist yeah. and you reference that to know, hey, what are the things I need to do in this scenario that is ever changing that will get me to a successful place? And it's like what you talked about, your, your three yeah. things for the day. It's like, hey, when things start getting crazy. I'm not calm. I'm not in the right headspace to, to really be clear on where I need to go by the end of the day. Just go back to what your three most important things are. That's your roadmap back and you can reorient yourself on where you need to go. Uh, love it. Love it. Awesome. Well, what, so you said there's there's three kind of main ingredients to productivity. Can you go back through those again? Yeah, for sure. So uh, th this is something that I found in my very first book that, that I wrote called The Productivity Pro. I feel like I keep plugging the books. So I, I will. I, I have it. a no plug guarantee going forward <laughs> on, on this podcast. Uh, I, I uh, hereby declare that I will not. So, so the the <laughs> first thing that I wrote, the first book that I wrote, was called the Productivity Project. Um, and to do this this project, uh, it, it was right after I graduated from university about a decade ago, and I, I received a few full time job offers after university. But I, I thought, uh, like, I don't know about accepting one of them. I saw the next several decades of my career laid out before me. And I realized at the time, if there was ever a time to do something that I was passionate about, 
it was then. So declined the jobs and devoted a year of my life, basically, uh, to devouring all of the uh, science and uh, tactics that I could on this subject of personal productivity. And there, there is a lot out there on personal productivity. But again, the golden rule is how much time do you make back for all the time uh, that you spend investing in productivity, reading books on productivity, um, trying things out for yourself, experimenting with these productivity strategies. Um, and so the year was very much a filtering process. And at the end of it, I had basically a, a list of things that worked in my own situation where you know first of all we're all all wired differently we all do different work we all have different personalities we all have different constraints different home situations different work situations we're at different levels of the organization as well and so we really do have to take the advice that works for us and leave the rest uh, but that said most of the advice that I found actually allows us to make progress in what, how much we accomplish each and every day um, is stuff that falls into those three categories. So it's either time management, attention management, or energy management. So time management has, of course, always been an essential component of productivity. As long as we work around the schedules of other people, Time is an ingredient that we're going to have to manage. Uh, but I would make the argument that with knowledge work, these two other ingredients are just as critical as time management. Uh, attention management, of course, being one of them. If we're constantly distracted, if our attention span is quite short, um, on average, we focus on one thing for 40 to 50 seconds before we get distracted or interrupted or work on something else. And so it doesn't matter how well you can manage your time if you can't then focus on what you're intending to accomplish. And so attention is the second component and energy is the third component because it's the fuel that we expend over the course of the day in order to get stuff done. Uh, it, it doesn't matter how well you can manage your time if you have time blocked your entire day and you have the capacity to, to focus on things. If you're burnt out, Right, or if you're if you have nothing left in the tank, and this can be everything. Energy can include everything from burnout, which is a subject that I personally find fascinating as well, to something as simple as eating four plates of heaping like Indian food at a lunch buffet and not having the energy to get anything done in the afternoon. And so, the, <laughs> the advice that allows us to make progress. Most, not all of it, like the, there are some things that exist outside these boundaries, but generally time, attention, and energy, these are the three ingredients that we must manage uh, if we want to make more progress in uh, working uh, towards our goals and manifesting our values through our actions each and every day. And so it, most of the helpful advice falls into these three categories. And we can kind of get a general feel for how well we're doing in the various categories. Sometimes our attention is a lot shorter than it needs to be. Other times we're really feeling the slog and feel like we're dragging our feet and feel like maybe we're on our way to burning out. Um, other times, you know, maybe the focus comes in because our mind is is overly anxious. Other times, we feel like we have way more to do than we have time to do it in. And so, time management is the ingredient to focus on. But 
Generally speaking, these are the three components of productivity. Oh, it's so good. There's, there's, in each one of those, there's a, there's a whole world uh, to unpack, yeah. and and there's, there's so like a much multiverse to talk. situation, yeah. and 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 probably multiple of those within each. But yeah. the the so time that obviously we need to be conscious of where we're spending our time and investing it, as we like to say, versus just spending it and thinking about it as yeah. an investment that we get an ROI on and attention. I'd love to talk to you about a little bit because in, yeah. We touched on this with the phones, and I'm assuming that part of the incentive with the the phone experiment that you went on was how much of a distraction that the phone can be, and in this attention bucket, and in today's world, I mean, you just have this tremendous amount of um, incentive, or I should say, uh, there's you know multi billion dollar organizations whose sole purpose is to compete for your attention, and you're trying to limit yeah. that and and be intentional about where you use it. Uh, and multitasking is is something that we we spend a lot of time on when it comes to attention. And when yeah. you're when you're working on some primary work and staying focused on that work, and I'd like to get some insight from you around multitasking and the world we live in today, and what maybe some insight or best practices you would recommend for someone when it comes to being just focused on the task at hand. Yeah, for sure. So multitasking is a really interesting phenomenon because we we hear all the time that multitasking doesn't work. We shouldn't multitask. We should solo task. But yeah, most... <laughs> this is actually an impetus for uh, the second book that I wrote, which I won't mention my name, I, I will say. I'll, I'll mention them at the end. That, that'll be my final plug. Um, <laughs> but it, it's it, it's fascinating because we feel compelled to do it anyway. Uh, we know it's terrible, but it's kind of like eating that uh, food at that Indian buffet. We we find it very difficult to resist that fourth plate when the butter chicken is so good. And multitasking is very, very similar where we kind of are propelled forward by stimulation, by dopamine, you know, a, a chemical that, a neurochemical that a lot of us hear a lot about. But uh, neuro- dopamine, essentially, the the thing to know is it, it's a chemical, a neurochemical that makes us feel as though pleasure is right around the corner. So we never really feel as though we've truly arrived when our behavior is driven uh, forth by dopamine. And so, but here's the thing: there's also what is called a, a novelty bias embedded within our brain's prefrontal cortex, the logical part of our mind, uh, by which for every new and novel thing we direct our attention at, we get a, a squirt of that dopamine, which makes us feel as though pleasure's right around the corner. And so we check. Instagram and we get a hit of dopamine. We then 40 to 50 seconds after that, we check, I don't know, uh, uh, TikTok. Then we get another hit of dopamine. Then we check email. We get another hit. We check the news a minute after that. We get another hit of dopamine. And we kind of bounce around in this dopamine-fueled feedback loop, never truly feeling as though we've arrived at what we need to be doing. And so we also have the guilt that comes associated with that because we compare how we're acting to the intentions that we set and this guilt inevitably arises. And multitasking is a really, really interesting phenomenon in this way because the research shows that our tasks take, uh, give or take a a little bit, but around 50% longer compared to when we focus on something from the start 
through completion. Uh, but the thing about multitasking is we can do it, uh, but there are big exceptions to, the, to this rule. So we can multitask, but only with habits, not for things that are productive and meaningful and require our full uh, attention. So you know who's you know people say multitasking doesn't work but if we're only doing things that are habitual that we can do on that aforementioned autopilot mode we can multitask right we can walk while we breathe while we chew bubble gum while we avoid cracks in the sidewalk while we listen to a podcast and maybe we'll only half listen to the podcast so we won't digest that completely. But let's say we're listening to music instead so we don't need that that full uh, capacity of our attention. We're just enjoying the moment, uh, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully it's a sunny day or something. Um, we can do that. Who's to say we can't? We're not going to... like. We probably won't trip. We probably will, you know, the music will fade in and out of our awareness. We'll probably continue avoiding the cracks in the sidewalk. But the the trouble comes when we're doing work that's cognitive, that has a cognitive complexity to it. Because anything that's cognitively complex requires all the attention that we can possibly bring to it. Um, and the, the reason multitasking doesn't work is when we have to rapidly switch between things, there's something called attention residue, which is a, a term that's coined by Sophie Leroy, who's an attentional researcher. And essentially, we have this kind of mental scratch pad that we use throughout the day called our working memory capacity. And when we switch from one thing to the other, a part of what we were just doing still lives inside of this working memory that we have to to process the world around us. And so let's say we're having this conversation right now, then we hang up and then we go read a book. Uh, a part of our mind will, as we're reading, will still be recalling the things we said, the things we talked about, it'll be processing them. That's the, the act of attention residue. And what happens when we rapidly switch between things is there's always some residue in our mind. And so our mind is basically half full of this attentional residue, um, which slows us down. It gives us less of a cognitive capacity to deal with whatever it is that we intend to be doing in the moment. It's the same effect uh, of uh, you know, being able to not calculate things quickly before going on stage or during airplane turbulence. Our working memory capacity is significantly, significantly reduced. It's shrunken. And so we're we're not able to bring our full selves to what it is that we intend to be accomplishing. And you know, we the 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 challenge here, I think, though, is we're so bad at measuring our productivity uh, because we tend to look at at proxy measures for productivity, like how busy we were at the end of the day. And uh, on days when we're super busy, we'll think, oh, I did a lot, so I must have accomplished a lot. Uh, when really busyness is often no different from laziness when it doesn't lead us to accomplish something of importance. Um, and so it's, it's tough because multitasking leads to greater busyness, but it leads to less productivity. But it leads to more of a feeling of productivity. And so it's it's a complicated, fascinating phenomenon. Uh, and the, the part I find the most interesting is how 
we feel so compelled to multitask because it's so stimulating. It's so uh, dopamine-inducing, dopaminergic. Um, but yet it doesn't really lead us to make more progress, which is, I think, the reason that we're all here right now. It's it's to make more progress towards the things that we want to get done. So it's a contradictory, interesting uh, thing. Definitely. It, it, there are certain environments that almost they lend themselves to to almost you, you needing to multitask and if you're in uh in or yeah. feeling that you need to multitask anyway if you're in a, a corporate environment and you're back to back in meetings all day long you know meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting skip lunch meeting 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 and you you don't feel like you have the time to be able to answer slack or teams messages or respond to texts and you find yourself like if I don't jump into this and start doing it and divide my attention. I'm not going to keep up throughout the day instead of re-engineering your, your calendar in a way that you can find blocks to do that. And so it's, it, there are certain circumstances that really almost force people to feel like they need to multitask. Yeah. Well, w- one way around this that, that I am a big advocate for is doing sprints of, of uh, dealing with these messages. And so it's kind of like that flip phone experiment idea where when it's sprinkled throughout our day and it, it tends to fill the the gaps of our day like water and we feel like we don't have you know essentially breathing room uh in our day we have no white space to think to reflect um sprints are a really nice way of compartmentalizing that communication so uh, i personally do this with email i i get way more email than i would like to get as <laughs> i'm sure pretty much everybody listening i'm sure you do i'm sure everybody listening to this does as well um but what I like to do is at the top of the hour or whenever I have a bit of time throughout the day, um, I'll just set a timer for 15 for 20 minutes. And in that time, blow through as many email messages as I possibly humanly can. Um, because what, one of the, you know, one source of, of chronic stress in our days, which um, leads to more burnout, which leads to less energy as well, is this constant checking for new messages when we don't have the uh, cognitive capacity or the time, attention, or energy to deal with what we uh, are receiving in the moment. So it's just more stressful when we check our email, but we don't have time to respond. And so we have a mental loop that we will need to respond. And, and then we we get to it later, hopefully, and experience the stress in the meantime, instead of just doing it later in the first place. And so the sprints are, are a nice way around this. And I find that people don't really have to wait more than a couple of hours for a response when you crank them out. Uh, if I'm traveling, it's a great excuse. Instead of just having email on my phone, uh, I'll tether to my phone and answer all the emails from an iPad or a laptop, something that will allow me to do it more efficiently. But I think, you know, in, in the question, you also touched on something that, you know, in, in kind of a corporate role, uh, in, the, the quote that comes to mind, there's a French poet, I think his name is Pierre Riverdi. And he, he has written that there is no love, there are only proofs of love. And I think, you know, not to romanticize productivity, but hey, why the hell not? Um, mm-hmm. We could also say there is no productivity, there are only proofs of productivity. And so, you know, just as we're bad at looking at how productive we are ourselves, 
Other people don't have much to go on either. They don't see the full surface area of the work that we do, but they can see the proofs of productivity that we send, the emails that we strategically answer quickly, uh, the uh, times that we're available uh, strategically. They can see these proofs of productivity, these proofs of progress, uh, if you will, uh, that I think are critical to send uh, to kind of counterbalance these strategies wherein we're a bit less available and we're perceived as a bit uh, less productive, even though the exact opposite is the case. That's so true. And we, there, I mentioned this a little bit before, but we often draw the connection to to investments and spending money with time and mm-hmm. and you yeah. know you can easily just spend your money all day long and and not get a return for that or you can separate some of that for investments in future growth and you can approach your your time in a similar way to say hey what are the highest return on investment things i can do today so that i don't fast forward to the end of the day look back and say man i was busy all day i had all day yeah. long, I had something on my calendar, but what do I have to show for it? These proofs of productivity. And I think it's back to what you said before earlier about being clear on what success looks like for the day, the week, the month, the year, all rolling up and being able to orient your time around the most important three things is in, in your case uh, that will get you there. And those are your yeah. proofs of productivity. It's like, hey, at the end of the day, did I get my three things done? At the end of the week, did I get my things done and and making the adjustments that show up on your calendar that yeah. can improve that productivity? Yeah, and there's those multiple layers layers for that proof of uh, productivity too. There's the proofs that we need to see from ourselves that that we make progress towards these. This is why I'm actually a big fan of keeping a, a paper to do list um, on, on you know when when I have the flexibility to do so when I'm not traveling, for example. Otherwise, it's plain text. Because you get to to feel yourself just cross things off on the list, and that's an incredible feeling to 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 look back on the list of things that you did on a particular day and see all the crossed out things, including the things that you did not intend to accomplish but did anyway that you then write down and cross it out, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, assuming you get the most important things done, right? That's right, my friend. That's right. <laughs> Awesome. Well, hey, if the listeners want to come check you out, if they want to listen to your podcast or find your books to hear more about all this awesome stuff that you're you're focused on, where could they find you? Yeah. So the books are called The Productivity Project, and that's the one on managing a time, uh, attention, and energy. My second one is called Hyperfocus, which is all about attention management. My latest, and I, I personally think my best, but I'll let people be the judge of that, is called How to Calm Your Mind, which is all about uh, finding productivity in with, uh, w- with a, a level of deliberateness and calm that is critical, as well as overcoming burnout and anxiety in the process. It's about uh, a personal journey that I went through, through burnout, through anxiety, um, and how I overcame it by looking at the research, chatting with experts, running experiments on myself. So those are my three books. They're available wherever books are sold in in thirty five languages as well around the world. If if that's if you have a different preferred language, it's probably in it. 
except for French. Nobody has ever published a French version of of my any of my books, which was something I was thinking about the other day. Uh, <laughs> but my podcast that I do with my wife, um, uh, we have a fun little project. She's a, an economics professor, and I write about productivity. And so you get to see where those ideas meet. It's called Time and Attention. And uh, what else? Oh, my website is chrisbailey.com if you want to read what I write. It's all there for free. Awesome, Chris. Well, hey, if you could have our listeners take away just one thing from the podcast today, what would you have them take away? I would look at the proportion of your time that you spend intentionally um, and use that as a regular reflection to check up on the quality of your attention over time. I, I think you know, the proportion of time that we spend with intention is it's quite low and we shouldn't beat ourselves up over that fact. It's it's human to respond to our environment, to tend to other people, to other concerns. But we ultimately need control over our own time, attention, and energy. And intention is the best vehicle that I've found to reclaim that. So uh, checking up on how often you spend those ingredients with intentionality, uh, which lives at the heart of productivity, I think, is critical. Awesome, Chris. Thank you so much. Really appreciate appreciate you being on the podcast today. And it's great to hear that we're focused on so many of the same things. And yeah, uh, I appreciate your time. Love it. Thanks for having me. All right. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to The One Thing Podcast. If you're a bold risk taker who wants to dream big and achieve a higher level of success in your life or business, visit theonething.com. There you'll find information on one-on-one coaching, our exclusive community membership program, and customized workshops that will help you get your team or organization aligned and rowing in the same direction. That's T-H-E, the number one, dot com to start living the life you've always dreamed of today. Be sure to follow the show to stay up to date on weekly episodes, guest interviews, and more. Plus, we would love to hear from you. Send us a voice note by going to speakpipe.com slash the one thing or email us at podcast at the one thing.com. We'll see you next week.